Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I want to thank you for listening again. Uh, do look around the site. We've got over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. Uh, my books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Uh, please also check out my new website that allows you to tune in to the new Hackberry Radio. Just go to hackberryhouseofchosun.com and take a look and a listen. Well, today reading from a book entitled The Christian in Complete Armor. That's by William Gurnall, the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. We're talking today about the need to inspect and repair your graces. We're in Ephesians 6.13. The second observation regarding Paul's repeated exhortation in Ephesians 6.13 is taken from the verb, which means not only to take, but to take again. In other words, to recover something which was lost or to resume an undertaking that up to the present has been abandoned. Considering that Paul was writing primarily to the Christians at Ephesus, we may assume he was not telling them to put on God's armor by converting to the faith. This they'd already done. Rather, Paul was exhorting them to pull their armor more closely to their bodies in the places where it was hanging loose and to repair any holes in their graces. So, why your graces must be kept in good repair? Who wears armor in times of peace? Armor is designed for those going into battle. Do not think simply putting on the grace of God will frighten the enemy away. He's not impressed by a show of force. On the contrary, the very sight of God's armor upon your back is like waving a red flag at Satan. So, to have it on for show is not enough. You must have it securely fastened at every point. Satan is not challenging you to a mock battle. This war is a life or death struggle. If you do not believe me, look what he has done to God's servants in times past. Charging full speed ahead at many a dear saint, he has battered their armor until the grace of God in them was almost unrecognizable. All this he does when he catches a saint off guard. Do you remember what happened to Jacob when he unbuckled his girdle of truth and sincerity and used a trick to get his father's blessing? He got the blessing all right, but he also was repaid in kind when Laban switched Leah for Rachel. Think how much suffering he might have saved himself by keeping his whole suit of armor in place. What about David? Oh, the battering he took by removing his breastplate of righteousness in the matter of Uriah. He sustained a dreadful wound, being shot right through the heart. And Jonah, when God wanted to send him to Nineveh, got caught without his shoes on. And by that I mean he, he lacked the preparation and readiness with which his mind should have been shod to have gone at the first call. Then there was poor Hezekiah. He had his helmet of hope knocked askew and so badly dented that he cried, I shall not see the Lord in the land of the living. Even Abraham had fits of unbelief and distrustful qualms that crept in at some rusty spots in his graces. Uh, 
This war is a spiritual holocaust. Either you destroy the power of Satan in your life by putting on the whole armor of God and keeping it on, or Satan will destroy you. The great saints of every century have been tried in the fires of temptation, and to a man they have been singed whenever Satan found the smallest chink in their graces. Do not disregard what history has repeatedly shown to be true. Satan will watch and wait. Sooner or later he will catch you with this or that grace laid aside for the moment. Then he will attack. This hour of intense battle is the very time you need all your resolve to get your armor repaired and to do it at once. Do not give up in despair. Christ is an excellent workman. He can make new all that is broken in you. And then who suffers wrong when your grace diminishes? When you decline in grace, the negative effects go far beyond your own situation, even to God himself. Let us examine the serious consequences of neglecting your spiritual warfare. First, you wrong God. God's honor is more dependent on his saints' graces than on any other single thing. Even the flagrant sins of the world do not discredit him the way a saint's careless conduct does. When men of the world use the talents God has given them to increase their own bank accounts, they rob him only of his oil, flax, and wool. But when the Christian misuses or neglects his grace, he takes away God's glory. Letting God's glory leak out at the holes in your graces is serious indeed. It shows utter disregard for his will. He intends for his glory to be magnified by your attitudes and actions, not diminished. Suppose a man entrusts one person with his money and another with his child. Now, which would grieve him more, to have his money mismanaged and wasted or to have his child neglected and injured? Grace is God's child in you, the new creature in Christ. When it comes to any harm because of your negligence, it cuts deeper into God's heart than when a sinner wrongs him because he's never trusted that individual with such a precious gift as he gave you. And then you wrong other Christians by neglecting to repair your broken armor. When the physical body is sick in one part, All the others are somehow affected. The same principle is at work in the spiritual body. When we ignore God's commandments, which always results in diminished grace, we show our indifference toward the entire body of believers. We are told to love one another. And how do we demonstrate our obedience to this commandment? John tells us in the very next verse, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. There is a cause-effect relationship between grace and sin. Whenever the former declines, the latter inevitably increases. And then you wrong yourself when you see that the grace of God in you is taking a turn for the worse, but do nothing to reverse the process. You will suffer for your negligence. A declining Christian is always a doubting Christian. Your grace is like a tree. As long as it is healthy, It never stops growing. But if it begins to wither, you know something is very wrong. Satan is quick to spot the first signs of blighted faith. 
Your weakened condition makes you highly susceptible to his lies. Here's what he tells you. If you were really a Christian, you would be growing. True saints uh, go from strength to strength, but you, you go from strength to weakness. You say you are saved, then why are you so much further from God than on the day of your alleged salvation? Satan's lies do contain an element of truth. When your graces are in a state of decline, you do feel far from God in heaven. You do begin to wonder whether you were ever really saved. Imagine that you held an estate because of having custody of a child, upon whose death the estate would be taken away from you. I have no doubt that the child would be well looked after. You would never let him out of your sight, and the slightest headache would send you running for a physician. The only claim we have to our heavenly estate is the child of grace that comes to dwell within us when we accept Christ as Savior and Lord. So, when this child of grace is sick or weak, we better use every means to make it well again. If God's grace is in you and it's sickly, you'll find little joy in life, present or future. A person with a chronic illness gets no pleasure from anything he does. His food is tasteless. He sleeps fitfully. He has no energy to work or play. If the image of Christ in you has faded, you are chronically ill. You will not taste the sweetness of the promise, nor enjoy any rest in him. You will limp painfully to every duty, wondering whether you have strength enough to see it through. All the while, your disconsolate heart will be crying out at the heavy load that you make it carry. How sad that our own carelessness so often gives Satan the advantage. By our own spiritual complacency, we put a staff in his hand and an argument in his mouth, which he uses to question our salvation. But how sweet is the promise to our faith when it is active and vigorous? How easy the yoke when the Christian is not galled with guilt nor his strength enfeebled by declining grace. When your relationship to Christ is set aright, you and your brothers and sisters in Christ are alike benefited and your heavenly Father is glorified. Now, we come to another section which we will begin It's entitled, How to Know Whether or Not Your Grace is Declining. Having shown why the Christian should make every effort to restore his declining graces, it will be appropriate to give a word of counsel on early detection of this spiritual disorder. As with most diseases, the sooner you isolate the cause, the more quickly you can effect a cure. And so, False or misleading symptoms we will give first before we get to the root cause. Let me advise you of some false symptoms that may lead you mistakenly to think that your grace is in a state of decline. First, an increased sense of sin. Uh, Christian, uh, do not necessarily think your grace has gotten weaker because your sense of personal sin has grown stronger. This common error often causes great distress to a saint. All of a sudden he becomes acutely aware of pride or hypocrisy or some other corruption that seems to break forth in hideous boils within his own nature. 
He's horrified at the sight of this sin. And Satan piles on the guilt, and before long the saint is almost overcome with the pain of remorse. If this is the case with you, let me ask you something. Is it not quite possible that the sin which is weighing you down has been present for years, but you never noticed it until now? If so, rejoice to know that your grace is not fading, but flourishing and and choking out some perennial weeds that Satan may have sown long ago. If you are still distraught, reassure yourself in knowing that sin cannot be getting the upper hand when a person's horror at its presence is growing stronger. Do be careful not to use this as an excuse for newly hatched sins. Deal honestly with yourself and with God. None are so full of remorse at the presence of the least sin as those whose love for Christ is increasing. As winter passes and spring approaches, the sun grows stronger and melts the frost earlier each day. A sure sign that the love of Christ is shining stronger in your heart is when sin cannot lie long without being melted into sorrow and genuine repentance. The decaying soul is the one where sins lie hard and frozen and where little awareness or sense of sorrow for them appears. Secondly, as far as misleading symptoms, a decreased sense of comfort. Grace may be hard at work within you when you least feel its presence. Did faith ever triumph more than when our Savior cried in utter despair, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, faith was at its zenith, though it was midnight with respect to joy. Perhaps you have just performed an act of obedience and are returning home without those sheaves of comfort you are accustomed to gathering after working in the Father's fields. Do not feel because of this that something was wrong with the work you did. Feelings are not always an accurate measure of your spiritual state. Comfort is not essential to duty. It is a bonus which God may or may not give. How well you performed the task he assigned you has nothing to do with it. A traveler may go as fast and cover as much ground when it is cloudy as when the sun shines its brightest. Sometimes, in fact, he can go faster on a dreary day. The warm sun may make him sleepy and cause him to stop and rest. Or as when it is dark and cold, he'll spur his horse to reach his destination more quickly. Some graces like some flowers, grow best in the shade. Perseverance, humility, dependence on God, for instance. And then thirdly, perhaps a misleading symptom to you, increased temptation. If you should hear someone say that he has grown weak because he cannot run as fast today with a hundred pound weight on his back as he could yesterday without it, you would soon tell him where his mistake lies. You can make the same mistake with regard to temptations. They do not always lie with the same heaviness upon your conscience. You may overcome one temptation with very little conscious effort, while another weighs you down day in and day out. It's easy to grow discouraged and conclude that you're lazy or insincere. 
Yet grace may be acting stronger in you while it struggles against this stubborn temptation than when it overpowers a lesser one. A ship, lightly ballasted and and sailing with the wind, goes flying across the waves, but that same ship, heavily loaded and fighting the wind, may hardly move forward at all. But the crew will have to expend all its energy in the latter situation, whereas in the former, half the men may be in their quarters taking a rest. Well, those are some false symptoms. Next time we get together, we'll talk about genuine symptoms of declining grace. You'll want to be present for that, I hope. Thank you so much. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.